Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is the Asian Madness Podcast. A podcast where we discuss all things true crime, morbid, mysterious, and odd from the Asian continent. I am your host, Jessica. Before I begin this week's episode, I would like to play a promo for a podcast that is a little bit similar to mine, but in a different sense. Check it out here. How does a man survive 80 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit? What's the true story behind Hurricane Katrina? Why did nine-year-old Aisha Degree pack a bag in the middle of a stormy night and disappear? And how did serial killer Samuel Little kill 80 people without the police finding out. These are the stories you won't find on other podcasts. The stories that often go unnoticed. The victims that are lost to time. Writer-producer James Hayes, sound designer and co-producer Liam Fox O'Brien, and host Carl Ellis Grant will answer these questions in another shade of crime. A monthly true crime podcast about crimes committed by and against people of color. Because crime does not discriminate. Find us on iTunes, Spreaker, or anywhere podcasts are found. That is correct. Crime does not discriminate. So if you're looking for crimes that cover other areas and probably stories you've never heard of before, then I highly suggest you check out Another Shade of Crime. Now let's begin today's episode. Hello and welcome back to the Asian Madness Podcast. So today I want to talk about something that I've always wanted to talk about but never got around to. It's more about me sharing something that I like with you all, and this something is music. But of course, there is a death included in this story, so that is why it managed to make it into the podcast Or else it's just music, not much madness there, I think. For this episode, I would like to thank a long-time listener and supporter, Heidi, for suggesting this case and for helping me with the research. I also know of another Instagram follower who is interested in today's topic, so shout out to you, Jenny. Anyway, today I'm going to introduce to you a musician I was quite obsessed with back in high school. I collected posters, live concert clips, basically anything that was linked to him. To put it plainly, this is a very special story to me. He's a Japanese musician and performer by the name of Matsumoto Hideto. 
also known as Hide. And here is his story. Matsumoto Hideto, whom I will refer to as Hide from now on, was born on December 13, 1964, in Yokosuka, Japan. He lived with his father, Mitsuru, his mother, Junko, his younger brother, Hiroshi, and his grandmother, Katsuko. Now, Grandma Katsuko was not your typical mild-mannered Asian grandma. She was said to have made a huge impact on Hide as he was growing up. She was independent, and I suppose what we would say as somewhat sassy. She ran her own beauty salon near the U.S. Navy base in Yokosuka, and was very successful in her business. It was said that she had a special bond with her oldest grandson, Hide, and he also admits that he is a grandma's boy. He confided in her, and she gave him unconditional support for whatever he put his heart into. And in this case, it was music. When he was around 15 and in junior high, he began to dive into the world of rock music through his love for the band KISS. His grandmother, like I said, was very supportive of him and gave him a Gibson Les Paul deluxe guitar for his birthday that year. It's really not something I would expect a Japanese grandmother to gift her grandson back in the 70s, but hey, what do I know? Either way, it's really heartwarming to know how supportive she was. During his years in high school, he began to devote more time to playing the guitar, and in 1981, he started his own band called Saber Tiger. They were pretty edgy, as in the things they did back then would still make you go, uh, okay, if you heard about it happening in 2019. During their gigs, they would use flamethrowers, splash blood, and raw meat onto the crowd, all that kind of weird stuff. You get the idea. Dangerous, but I mean, it made a lasting impression. This reminds me of Lady Gaga's meat dress during that one award ceremony. Yeah. Speaking of clothes, Hide's grandma also helped him and his bandmates with costume design, which is really cute. So basically, he had a mind of his own, and he was all for experimenting and performing. I think that's a good way to put it. He wasn't just into playing and making music, he was also a performer, and honestly, I think he was really good at it. He graduated high school in 1983 and continued his studies at a beautician school, focusing on cosmetology and fashion design. He was pretty interested in his studies, so that probably made it easier for him to focus. He graduated in the year 1985, successfully obtaining a professional license. Soon after, he met someone that pretty much became a best friend to him. Someone who, while working together, brought out the best in him. A musician and performer by the name of Yoshiki attended one of Hide's gigs and was pretty much scouting for talent. The two struck up a conversation after the concert and quickly developed a friendship that would last for a long time. According to the Tokyo Journal, Yoshiki's impression of Hide was, quote, flashy and flamboyant. And I 100% agree. The two friends would discuss music and performances, all the while working on their own bands. Hide faced some difficulties with his band during the six years it was active, mostly with members coming and going. So in early 1987, he finally decided to disband and leave all that behind. 
As he was preparing to return to his home in Yokosuka to work with his grandmother, Yoshiki offered him the role of lead guitarist in his own band, X, as in the alphabet X. Up until this point, Hide had received numerous offers to join other bands, but he had turned them all down. But when Yoshiki offered, he agreed to it without a moment's hesitation. Hide, along with four other band members, formed the band X. They released their first album titled Vanishing Vision in April of 1988. Neither the band nor the genre was close to being mainstream. They are set to be the first of its kind in Japan, but more on the terminology later. When the band came out with their first album, it was a shock to society, but probably on the positive side. They were indie, they were making music on their own, probably renting studios and trying to get it to sound good. All their hard work paid off, though, as it earned them the name of the first indie band in Japan to receive the same popularity as mainstream music. They sold around 10,000 albums the first week it was released, which I have to assume is a good number for an indie band, especially back in the 80s in a reserved society like Japan. So what was this band X like? They were five members. The leader, Yoshiki, who played drums and piano, composed most of the music and wrote most of the lyrics. Toshi was the lead singer, who also grew up with Yoshiki. They were in elementary school together, and both were into music. They had a strong interest in rock and roll music and also loved the band Kiss. They were in music bands together during their school years and even made a pact together to start a band in the future. Bassist for the band was Taiji at the time, and the two guitarists were Pata and, of course, Hide. The group performed and sold records under the production name Ecstasy, which is a group founded and managed by none other than Yoshiki himself. I know this episode is about the guitarist, but I have to say, Yoshiki is a music god. Now, let me veer back to the terminology I mentioned earlier. The band was very flashy and flamboyant. During the early days, they all had this huge poofy hairdo with vibrant colors, extravagant makeup, intense clothing like leather and studs, all that. If you have a minute, type in X Japan 1988 in Google and you will know exactly what I mean. This style has a specific term called visual K, where K meaning style or system in Japanese. According to Wikipedia, this is a, quote, movement among Japanese musicians that is characterized by the use of varying levels of makeup, elaborate hairstyles, and flamboyant costumes, often but not always coupled with androgynous aesthetics similar to Western glam rock, end quote. This eventually became a huge thing, and the term visual K would be used mostly in reference to music and style. Western glam rock is not necessarily equivalent to visual K, and although it already existed in Western society, this was pretty new in Japan in many ways. A good comparison to visual K would be David Bowie style, an artist who encompasses the glamour and the androgynous look. So, Back to the band. After their first album made a hit in the market, they were signed on to Sony Records and came out with their second album, Blue Blood, in 1989. 
In the following years, they would receive various music awards, get interviewed by prominent music magazines, and have concerts. It was said that during one interview, Hide was the one who mentioned the term visual K, saying that this term fits their style perfectly. In 1991, the band released their third album, Jealousy, and it sold over 1 million copies. I mean, they got popular really quick. Clearly, they're doing something right. The band changed their name from X to X Japan in 1992, and that's what they're known as today. The band members began to branch out and try more solo gigs around the year 1993, and eventually disbanded in 1997, mostly because the lead singer Toshi joined a cult. That denounced the music that he played. That's another crazy story for another time, though. Much sadness from the fans. The final concert was held on December 31st, 1997, and it was pretty epic. Obviously, I wasn't there, but I have the DVD footage of it, and it was beautiful. So, back to the main story. He did himself also started his solo career in 1993. Collaborating with various other musicians and changing his tone from X Japan's metal symphonic tone to a more alternative industrial rock sound. He formed his own United States based bands, Spread Beaver and Zilch, making new music both in LA and in Japan. Life was great not just for Hide, but for all the band members. Now, let's fast forward to 1998, the year that everything changed not just for Hide and his friends. But also for the entire Japanese music scene. Hide had been staying in LA for about three months since February of 1998, and finally returned to Japan in late April. On May 1st, Hide had been doing a television show recording with his band members, and after a long day, he went out drinking with them till the early morning of May 2nd. Hide's younger brother, Hiroshi, had been working as his manager since 1995. So he basically took care and traveled wherever Hide went. According to Hiroshi, he finally took a rather drunk Hide home at around 6 30 a.m., which I personally find pretty impressive. Hide was being rowdy, but not like passed out drunk, so that's something to note. Hiroshi, of course, did not leave a drunk Hide alone in the apartment, as it was said that Hide had been living with his then girlfriend. Or maybe it was a fiance. No one really knows for sure, and those that know keep it very private. It was true that he had a girlfriend, as he was asked in the May 1st interview, and he said he did indeed have a girlfriend. But whether or not they were living together was unclear. But say they were living together. She was probably sleeping when he arrived home, and when she woke up at around 7 30, he was not in bed. She got up to check. And to her horror, she found Hide unconscious, hanging on a towel that was tied to the doorknob. Obviously, she called the police immediately, and he was taken to the hospital. Hiroshi was notified as well, just as he was arriving home. Unfortunately, though, Hide was unable to pull through, as he had already been unconscious for a period of time. He was pronounced dead at 8 52 a.m. He was 33 years old. So, What happened? There are pretty much three possibilities. Murder was ruled out by the police, so that left with either accident or suicide. The two possibilities were looked into, and police officially ruled his death as a suicide, 
and that's the headline all the news agencies ran with. It's interesting as it took police less than a day to come to this conclusion. While everyone that knew Hide, like Yoshiki and Hide's family members and possibly many of his fans, would disagree with this conclusion. I would actually expect a more thorough investigation considering Hide's fame and everything, but who knows. Let's take a moment and go over the possible scenarios. So, homicide. It was ruled out immediately, but then again, the police aren't always right. For all we know, someone else could have been in that apartment with him, someone who may or may not have been said girlfriend. Maybe they strangled him, maybe they did something else, or maybe it was an accident. Hida was intoxicated, that wasn't a secret. So for all we know, he could have had a drunken brawl with someone and ended up dead. The person, whoever it was, may have freaked out and left the apartment without anybody noticing. Possible? Yes. Likely scenario? I'm going to say probably not. Or is it possible something happened with the girlfriend? Could she have had something to do with it? Maybe waited some time, called the police, claimed that she found him there. I really don't want to speculate like this because I literally don't know anything about her and I don't want to make her the bad guy for no reason, but I just want to keep the ideas going, although I personally don't see this as what happened. Now, what about suicide? Let's look at what people normally think of when they hear suicide. Suicide notes, unstable mood prior to suicide, talking about suicide. But then again, does every single suicide follow the so-called suicide rules? The answer is obviously no. He did, did not leave a suicide note, and he did not seem to be depressed or moody prior to his death. Sure, he was under stress, mostly because he was a musician, and he had stuff to do, like record, play, meet deadlines. He was weird and free-spirited, but he was a responsible musician. Did he talk about suicide? According to those around him, no, he didn't. But in an excerpt from his brother-slash-manager Hiroshi's book on Hide's life, which Heidi helped me find online, translated by an online user, W underscore B, something did stand out. In the year 1996, about a year and a half after Hiroshi began working as Hide's personal manager, the two brothers went out for a drink. Not as business partners, but as brothers. According to Hiroshi, Hide had been making strange requests at night. First, Hide expressed his thoughts on his own lifestyle, stating that the lifestyle he chose meant that he does not ever plan to get married, have kids, or lead a so-called normal life. Then he told Hiroshi that if anything were to happen to him, he will have to take the lead from then on. Hide knew he had no time for family. He was 100% dedicated to his music life and his lifestyle was also rather unstable. He seemed to feel like he could die at any time, anywhere. Hide also told his brother that if he did die, Hiroshi would have to make sure he was in his full so-called disguise at the funeral, as in hair done, makeup done. This was Hide's way of keeping his promise to his fans, as that was the Hide that everybody knew and loved. This was definitely a heavy conversation, and Hiroshi was concerned but took it 
as his older brother being cautious and preparing for the worst. Maybe this came off as a bit suicidal, or at least wanting to end life on his own terms instead of the world jumping out at him from behind the curtains and surprising him. But then again, this talk between the two brothers took place a year and a half before his death, and the police could not have possibly known that at the time of the investigation. So while suicide cannot be completely ruled out, I am more skeptical with how the police came up with the conclusion. Hide's band member, a guy called Paul Raven, also stated that Hide showed no behavioral change leading up to his death. He said Hide was stressed due to the scheduled recordings, but nothing really out of the ordinary. Hide was a very punctual and responsible person despite the image he portrayed, and the last thing he would ever want to do is inconvenient others because he was falling behind or feeling lazy. He would also never dream of letting his fans down. While he was in ex-Japan, Yoshiki mostly took care of the band's schedule and other matters, but when Hide went out on his own, he was responsible for himself and for all those working with and under him. I guess you could say he had strong work ethics. He had once said that 1998 was going to be his year, and he had all these plans laid out including recording, touring, promoting, live concerts, all that. He also had not yet finished playing his favorite game, Resident Evil 2. I mean, wouldn't he want to know how it ends? Now, let's discuss accident. Despite police reports, most of Hida's close friends, band members, and family members believe it had to have been an accident. If you recall how he died... He was found hanging from a towel attached to a doorknob. Some of you may be thinking, that's a really strange way to die. Even stranger if it was suicide, as you could easily get out of the situation when you have a change of heart. Here's the thing. Hida was a guitarist. We know that. What you may also need to know is that Hida wasn't a big guy. He was around 172 centimeters. That's around 5'7" and he weighed like 55 kilos, or 120 pounds? His body type was slim with a narrow frame. And I'm telling you this because he usually went for the heavier guitars and the thinner straps. He had a thing with how his straps were like, whether it was thin or thick, positioned high or low. He definitely suffered from back and neck pain with all the jamming that he did. So, this leads to this. Have you heard of the neck hammock? It's basically a hammock designed to hold your neck and head while you tie it around a doorknob. So most people lie down on the floor with the neck hammock holding their head up. But back then, this wasn't a ready-made tool. Ex-bassist Taiji and Yoshiki and many other musicians would use these towels as a way to relax their back and their necks. And that's exactly what Hide did. So you see where this accidental death comes in? Hide could have probably been trying to relieve some of his neck pain after getting home, but since he was intoxicated, he could have possibly messed it up, positioned himself wrong, fell asleep, passed out, and then died from suffocation. Hide was legendary in the Japanese music industry. He was the voice for so many young people growing up in a society like Japan traditional, repressed, and very rule-abiding. 
Not saying he didn't make a mess of the country, but, but he wanted to break free from the social restraints. While he loved music and making music, he was not a fan of the industry itself. He liked to create new things, help open the minds of others, and most importantly, he wanted to be himself. I find him to be very multidimensional, having both a perfectly wild side and a very tame side. Despite his image, like I said, he was hardworking, punctual, and respectful, and these are very Japanese traits. One thing that was not considered super great was how impulsive and reckless he can get once he drinks too much. People close to him have witnessed this part of him, but I suppose drinking is how he unwinds. And he probably has one of those go big or go home perspectives when it comes to drinking. Could he have made a rash decision to kill himself that night while he was intoxicated? Maybe. Or again, he could have just passed out in the worst time ever. News of Hida's death was shocking to the Japanese society. Every news outlet was reporting his death as a suicide, and some even went into detail in regards to how he died. Although I appreciate news reports being thorough, this was one of those times where it should have been kept a bit more on the down low. His wake was held on May 6, where approximately 10,000 fans gathered to pay their respects. From the day of his death to the wake, five fans had already attempted suicide, and three unfortunately succeeded. The scene and the fandom was getting out of control, forcing Yoshiki and former band members to come out and hold a press release, urging fans to calm down and to not commit suicide as it was not the way to go. The following day, May 7th, was Hide's funeral, and according to police reports, about 50,000 people showed up. This was one chaotic week in Japan. Within one week, five fans attempted suicide. Another girl slit her wrists at the temple where the wake was being held, and a car full of fans driving to Tokyo from Osaka got into a car accident due to sleep deprivation. This caused one death and seven to be seriously injured. Hundreds of others attending the wake or the funeral also received medical treatment from exhaustion and heat. Although I would think the emotional trauma is the real culprit here. Hide's funeral was one of the most attended funerals in Japan for a musician, and his death not only meant the end of his life, but to fans, also the death of an era. Yoshiki and the ex band members performed their song Forever Love at the funeral, and boy, was that sad. Hide's funeral turned out just as he wanted. Or just the way he had instructed Hiroshi. Over Hide's career, he went from being in his own indie band to almost giving up music to joining Yoshiki in his band X, then becoming X Japan, then going solo. They all started off with an intense glam rock style, which eventually began to evolve and somewhat toned down. The last couple years of Hide's life, he was sporting his iconic pink spiky hair. And that also gave him the nickname Pink Spider, which was also one of his songs that was released after his death. A museum dedicated to Hide was also opened in his hometown in the year 2000, and it was rumored that the then Japanese Prime Minister, Koizumi Junichiro, helped push this along as he was also a fan of X Japan. The museum was only supposed to be there for three years, but was later extended to five years. 
officially closing in 2005. In the years after Hida's death, many concerts were held in his honor, where other Japanese bands would play covers of his songs, and it has even progressed to using a hologram of Hide on stage. Some people love it, some find it creepy. I would like to share more about who Hide was as a person from his brother's book. These excerpts are really interesting and insightful. I found them interesting, and it humanized a person most people wanted to know, but couldn't. Hiroshi said while he was hired as Hide's manager, he was never cut any slack for being the younger brother. In actuality, he felt that Hide was even harder on him than he was on others. It makes sense, I guess, as your manager is the one you're supposed to rely on. He can't have his own manager going soft or being irresponsible. Hiroshi wrote that he was bitter about his treatment at first, but eventually he learned that this was how Hide showed he cared. Hide showed everyone he meant business, not just by being hard on himself, but by being hard on everyone else. Hiroshi was very different from Hide. He was never into rock music or that scene. As a child, every time he saw his brother's collection of albums and magazines, he correlated those long-haired rock star weirdos with being rebellious. It wasn't until later on, after watching his brother work hard but staying humble all the while, did he come around to his senses, scratching off that bias he had held as a child. X-Japan actually had plans to come back again as a group in the year 2000, but Hide's death kind of threw everyone off. The band officially made a return in the year 2007, and their then-new single, IV, was the song used in the credits for the movie Saw 4. You know, Jigsaw. I want to play a game. In case you were wondering, Toshi, the original lead vocal, was recruited back by Yoshiki and successfully left the cult, thank God. From then on, the group continued to tour, expanding to different countries, and even played in events like Lollapalooza 2010 in Chicago and Coachella. After 2010, the band gained more following and attention, and they continued to play worldwide in South America, Europe, and various other countries in Asia. Yoshiki remains the main guy behind the music and the lyrics, and while Hide is no longer able to play with them for obvious reasons, they have a new lead guitarist, Sugizo, who is set to be the band's sixth member. Seriously though, Yoshiki's drumming, piano, and overall music skills are incomparable. He has had several neck injuries due to drumming, but he's managed to work around that. Check out any of their live videos on YouTube and you will know exactly what I mean. He literally wore a neck brace for their final concert in 1997. An interesting tidbit I found online. There was an article about Hida's death from the New York Times titled, quote, The Pop Life, End of a Life, End of an Era, and it was written by Neil Strauss who I just realized happened to be the host of the podcast To Live and Die in L.A. Weird coincidence, right? I love seeing familiar names pop up unexpectedly, and it just shows that this world is small, but in a cozy way. I reached out to Neil on Instagram to confirm that it was in fact he who wrote the article, and he was nice enough to respond and confirm my suspicions. So, there you have it. This research really did take a long time as it was a personal passion of mine in more ways than one. 
And I may or may not have gotten distracted while researching because I kept going on YouTube, listening to their music. That's totally my problem. I discovered X Japan and Hide way too late, in the early 2000s, but it couldn't be helped as I was too young to appreciate their music back when they were still active. I was so bummed out when I found out my new hero had already been dead for years. But did that stop me from dyeing my hair pink in high school? Absolutely not. I just kind of wish the police had spent more time looking into his death and also would have been nice if the media didn't rush to report his death as a suicide. I personally believe it was an accident, because from what I know about him, he was filled with hope and dreams for the future. Sure, I'm probably biased to an extent, but let me be. I think it's a bummer that the world we live in tends to center around Western music, and although lots of it is great stuff, we also tend to miss out on other gems due to language barrier and cultural differences. Thank you again, Heidi, for helping me with the research. Could not have done it without you. So, for this episode, since it's a music related episode, I would like to finish off with a song from Hide. Oh, it was also his birthday last week, so totally fitting. Yes, I planned this deliberately. This song is titled Pink Spider, and I hope that you all enjoy it. Yeah. 